a listener production. This is From Zero, where I get the real stories behind some of Australia's best business successes. I'm Adam Schwab, co-founder of LuxuryEscapes.com, financial journalist, author, and angel investor. With my best mate from school, we co-founded Luxury Escapes, and the business has grown to turn over almost half a billion dollars annually without raising a dollar of outside capital. People ask me all the time, how do we start the business? And now I want to turn the tables. In this episode, I speak with Ido Leffler from Yes to Carrots and Yubi. So we basically learned the fine art of begging every single supplier that we had. Went door to door trying to find bottles, tubes, labels, you name it, raw materials, and then had to beg Elal, Israel's national carrier, to effectively loan us an aircraft, to charter an aircraft to fly this product to Chicago and around the US in order for us to make our deadlines. Ido Leffler is probably one of the most successful Australian entrepreneurs you haven't heard of. Born in Israel, Ido moved to Australia with his family when he was a young child. A few years after the family arrived, Australia was hit by a devastating economic downturn and the Lefflers were hit especially hard. Ido's dad would lose his job as a property developer and the family had to sell their home to repay the banks. Ido's mum even started tutoring on the side of a full-time teaching job just to try and bring in a bit of extra money. It would take his parents almost a decade to find their feet again, and the way they did it was through US-based vitamin business, Herbalife. Ido's mum was making a decent income from Herbalife when Ido's father also joined her. Over time, they would become two of the most senior representatives in Australia and remain some of the best performers in Australia to this day. Ido says his entrepreneurial side was shaped during this time, watching his parents piece their lives back together. It was this grit and innate entrepreneurial spirit that would underlie Ido's remarkable business story, beginning when he was just a teenager in northern Sydney. Looking at through your journey, you started as an entrepreneur at actually quite a young age. Uh, so you were, I think when you were 18, you and a friend started a business delivering bagels and croissants to, to the local neighbourhood. Uh, was that your first sort of dabble at entrepreneurship or had you, were you even younger when you started some, some, early, some early businesses? Yeah, I think over the years, like in many kids, you, you have your little forays into, into business now and then. But my true real business started um, with my best mate uh, to this day, Mr. Evan Lever. Um, and Evan and I, you know, we just we wanted to make some extra dollars. And what better way to do that than was to wake up at 4 a.m. on a Sunday morning, pack bread and deliver you freshly baked bagels and croissants to people's homes on Sunday morning. It was quite the adventure, especially after a late night out. And, uh, you know, we converted my, my parents' garage into our distribution center and off we went. And, you know, to think back, especially in the world that we're in today, you know, you had to fax in your order by <laughs> Thursday afternoon. It's just amazing. It, it feels like it was yesterday, but uh, <laughs> um, a few, it was called the Roving Bakery. And uh, a few years ago, I even went online and bought rovingbakery.com just in case my daughters wanted to do it. Were you baking the bagels or were you, were you buying the bagels from a, a baker? No, we were, we were purely middlemen. We were, we were, we were Uber Eats of, uh, uh, <laughs> in, in the, the leafy suburbs of St. Ives and Pimble. 
we were literally, we worked with some of the best bakeries in town. We found the best, we were very pedantic. We worked with the best bagel guy, the best woman that made the greatest croissants. We, we worked with just the best baguettes that you could find and, and we would source their, their bread and then we would deliver it out to, uh, to the local community. And how, how lucrative was the business? Did, did, you, did you guys make much money? You know, I think we did all right. We did all right. I don't think it, it, it definitely was not something to retire on, but for uh, um, some strappy, you know, scrappy um, eighteen-year-olds, we we did okay, and it, it afforded us, uh, you know, some some definite holiday and beer money. <laughs> so, so while you're distributing bagels, you're also going to university. You got a business degree from UTS, and you, you graduate and. You actually join your parents at Herbalife. Uh, yeah, that was probably one of the most un, most unscripted moments of my life. I, I went <laughs> to visit my dad, um, who was working in, with Herbalife in Indonesia at the time, and um, they just opened up Indonesia as a country. And I went over there, and my dad said, "Come meet me. We'll we'll, we'll hang out together for a couple of weeks." After two weeks, he left the country, and I stayed. <laughs> and uh, I ended up being there for two years living in an incredible part of Jakarta. Um, While all of my expat mates were living in high-rise buildings, I lived in a communal living place. It almost looked like a glorified chicken coop, and I lived with local Indonesians and absolutely loved every second of it. Um, It was one of the really most incredible times of my, my young life. It all started at Herbalife as a distributor. He recruited people to sell Herbalife products and helped grow the network in Indonesia from a couple of hundred people in the early 1990s to what is tens of thousands of people now. And while Ido was starting his career in Indonesia, another guy was doing the same thing in Sydney. Like Ido, Lance Kulish wasn't born in Australia. His family actually immigrated from South Africa just a few years earlier. Lance studied business at university and would soon get a job at accounting giant Pricewaterhouse. But despite their different work backgrounds, Lance and Ido hit it off pretty much right away and soon went into business together. They started a business called Trend Trade, which was effectively a management consultancy firm which helped other businesses reach a global audience. You guys are pretty young. You've worked in Indonesia and Lance has been at PwC, but realistically, you're minimal business experience and you guys open up a, a business to advise big businesses on how to operate their business, uh, which seems a bit counterintuitive. So I mean, the logical question is, how did you get your first clients and then how on earth did you know what to tell them to do? You know what? I think sometimes it's just about, it's, it, it's about fake it till you make it, <laughs> um, as you probably hear in a lot of uh, you know, podcasts and books. We, people were just more than anything they just loved our enthusiasm and our willingness to go above and beyond to make their business successful. That was our goal. So what we did is that we met with some of the absolute most incredible brands. So we basically went to the number one or two leading brands in Australia in the beauty and hair care space. And we'd walk into their offices. We would make up um, reasons why we were meeting them. So I remember once almost, you know, forcing my way to an office. Uh, It was Fudge Hair Care. Remember Fudge? Yeah, uh, of course. And so. User of Fudge. 
<laughs> so I, I was a big user too. I used to love the product when I had hair. And uh, um, I, th- I also recall it used to attract bees to my hair. But, uh, <laughs> but we literally, I, we, we, we almost came into the offices for a meeting with Fudge under false pretense, but somehow got to their head of international. And he had no idea why he was meeting us. And, and we basically convinced him that we were the ones that could take Fudge to Asia and beyond. And I think we were just so tenacious and basically said to him that once we got his sample of products, we'd be on the plane that next day to meet with distributors and retailers. And we attended every conference. We attended every trade fair. We were just always present in the industry that people just assumed that we knew what we were doing because we were always there. And and eventually we did know what we were doing and, we just built really strong relationships with people that are still strong to this day from those first days at Trend Trade because even though we were excited and we promised things, we never underdelivered. We always over-delivered on what we promised on and we weren't willing to stop until we did. And back in those days, we were living on the aeroplane. Um, I'm talking 150 to 200 days a year, just hitting the pavement for every single client that we had. And how how'd you go with Fudge? Did did you uh, were you able to take them global? No, so we did. We were able to help Fudge get into places like Indonesia and some of the other countries. We helped you know brands get into the UK. We helped brands get into you know brands from Europe into Australia. Um, we had wonderful relationships with people like Boots and Watsons and and beyond. And and it was one hell of a business for for two young twenty something year olds. So I think I read within a couple of years, you and you and Lance had seventy products you're working with, which is incredible. <laughs> in two in two years, how did you guys know how to run the business? How do you manage a portfolio of, of that many clients? Which I imagine was a fairly small team. Yeah, we were a tiny team. Uh, you know, we we were uh, you know minuscule. You could count the number of people on the team on your hand. Um, and the the way we did it is that we were you know Lance and I have very complementary roles. You know, I'm usually the guy on the client-facing side. I was meeting with the retailers. I was meeting with the brands. And Lance was really making sure that we were afloat on the back end and really making my life easy as I was going from meeting to meeting. He was sort of handling the behind-the-scenes execution. And once we got certain level of success in that particular business, success beget beget success and so we were able to really have a really great word of mouth type of a business and as a result we were able to you know by once you have one or two relationships particularly with the retailers we were able to introduce more and more brands to them and and move from there and how big in terms of revenue how big did trend trade get what kind of scale did you grow the business Uh, to Trendtrade was never a huge business. It was a consulting business in the end of the day. It was enough to really support our livelihoods. That's what was it, we were able to do. It, it wasn't a, a, a business of any major scale, but what it did do was that it provided us with the opportunity to have those networks. So when we were ready to build a, a, a company with scale, um, which was our next venture, um, we were really lined up and well positioned to do it quickly. So it's fast forward to 2007 and trend trade's going pretty well. And you and Lance go, we've had enough of helping other people. We're going to start our own brand. Is that, is that kind of how the conversation 
when we were, we'd always wanted to do something like that, but we never really had the, I think the guts at the time to do it. Our business was doing really well. And we, we were fortunate enough to meet a, an incredible gentleman um, who's subsequently become a really dear friend, mentor and investor of ours. And we, we had Lance had a fortuitous meeting with this gentleman um, at a wedding. Um, they happened to, to meet at a wedding and he said to, to Lance, well, why don't you come, why don't you and Ido come and meet me next week and, you know, we'll talk about whether maybe we can do something together. Lance had met him at a wedding in Sydney and the breakfast that he wanted us to have with him a week later was in Johannesburg and I was living in Tel Aviv. And so Lance and I get on a plane. I get on a plane from Tel Aviv. I had just met my wife. Lance had got on a plane from Sydney. I think he may have just have had a uh, had a newborn, and we literally flew to Johannesburg for a breakfast. And at that breakfast, this gentleman says to Lance and I, "I I really love your business. I'm not quite sure what you do, but I really love your business. But I feel like this whole horse is going to bolt, and I want to invest in you guys. And what I want to do though is that I think you should take all this knowledge that you've built, and rather than helping other brands." succeed i really think now's the right time for you guys to build a brand on your own and we said you know what this is what we've always wanted to do so we took the proceeds of this that investment and put it all towards our next venture which was our first brand the incredibly generous guy at the wedding would invest 1.5 million dollars in the business but hadn't quite started yet and soon a handshake deal would split the business three ways now they had money in the bank they didn't really have a business yet what they did have was great insight from Trend Trade and a hunch that organic beauty products would be the next big thing. There weren't a lot of big players in the market this time, so Ido and Lance set out to create the first natural beauty brand for a mass audience. Ido came across a factory in Israel that was making beauty products out of carrots. Yep, the carrots you eat. The guys loved the concept and very quickly they bought the brand Yes to Carrots. The guys initially planned to test the product on a really small scale in Israel, but fate soon intervened, and a friend introduced Ido to a buyer from Walgreens in the US. And for those of you who haven't heard of Walgreens, it's a really big deal. The company is actually the second largest pharmacy chain in all of the US, with almost 10,000 stores. And just to put this into perspective, there are around 400 Priceline stores in Australia. So getting yes to carrots into Walgreens would be a massive win for the new business. But before they could get their products on the shelves, Ido first had to meet the buyer, Michelle in Chicago and get the deal over the line. So you, you spoke to Michelle and you got your trial order, which I think was for around 800 or so units. Uh, and you're about to ship the units and you realized something wasn't quite right. Uh, what do you do when you, when you realize that had happened? <laughs> the first thing that happened was that, you know, they placed, it was back in the days where you had, um, I had a Nokia phone which would receive emails, but, you know, to scroll through an email took you like 15 minutes. And they had told us that that first order was 800 units. So we were like, no, no problem. 800 units, we can make that in our factory the size of my kitchen. No problem. (laughs) And and off we go. So it was 16 products, 800 units per product. And we were all ready to ship on time. Everything's amazing. And they turn around to us and we're about to ship it. And then um, we sent the email, my team sent the email and they wrote back saying, I, I actually think there's something wrong with the numbers that you sent. And we went, oh, wait a minute. And 
said, no, no, it's all right, 800 units of each. And they went, no, no, no. It was 800 cases of each product. Each case, 12 units. And we had made 800 units, not 800 cases. To which point we were completely and utterly screwed. Um, we, there was no way we could make that in time. There was no way we could get it on the ship in time. There was no way that we'd make the distribution in time. So we basically learned the fine art of begging every single supplier that we had, went door to door trying to find bottles, tubes, uh, labels, you name it, raw materials, finally got the product made to make 800 cases of each product, and then had to beg Elal, Israel's national carrier, to effectively loan us an aircraft <laughs> to charter an aircraft to fly this product to Chicago and around the US in order for us to make our deadlines. And that's what we did. And we lost a significant amount of money on that order. I don't even remember how much we lost, but it showed Walgreens that we were serious and that we were willing to do whatever it took to make them successful and that we weren't going to accept the excuse that we got the numbers wrong. And uh, you know, it was the start of what became a really incredible relationship with them. And so Walgreens, Walgreens, after you did the trial, they were happy with how your 800 cases went? Yeah, they were blown away. We were doing crazy stuff. For those of you that are a little bit older, uh, around my age or not, you know, you know, that are listening to this, there used to be a site out there called MySpace. <laughs> And yeah. it was really one of the first social media sites out there. And we were one of the first ever brands to run a fully integrated competition on MySpace. It was so new in terms of the whole online competition space that we actually had to build it from scratch ourselves. And Walgreens was so impressed that we did that. They were blown away. And then with the last money that we had left, we got remnant advertising space in Cosmo magazine. And we put together what we thought was the world's greatest advertisement in Cosmo. We got a full page ad and I walked into the Walgreens office and said, can you, if this is what we're willing to do for a trial, can you imagine what we're willing to do for a real launch? And they, I think they just thought that we were completely and utterly batshit crazy, but they, <laughs> They, they just loved it and, and it was, you know, it was a tremendous success and got us a full chain launch in Walgreens in their brand new natural beauty set. That's incredible. So you guys as a tiny business somehow struck a deal with, if not the biggest, one of the biggest pharmacy chains in, in the world. Uh, and so that, that's I guess step one, but step two, which, which no doubt you, you're about to come up against was... It's all great having your, your stock on the shelves, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee people will buy it, especially when it's a new brand and it's organic and it's, it's different to what people are used to. I presume more expensive than, than other brands. So how did you guys go from getting your stock in thousands of Walgreens to actually getting people to buy it? Yeah, it, it, was, it was a massive challenge. Um, I think I spent a lot of my time back then really just pounding the pavement meeting with as many we, we realized very early on that pr was going to be a big driver for for us it was big in the beauty industry but particularly big for us i had something that most american brands didn't have which was an australian accent and i was going to use that as much as i could to my advantage 
the fact that we were an Israeli brand started by two Australian guys was something unique and different. And we had this brand called Yester Carrots, which was this like crazy name for a brand. So I ran around from desk to desk. I say desk to desk, but back then we were so small that most of the beauty editors would literally meet us in the elevator well of the, <laughs> of, of the magazines. And we were very lucky that we had one woman. Her name is Jean Godfrey June. She's uh, one of my dear, dear friends today and someone who I will always be indebted to. She was the beauty editor of a magazine called Lucky, which was one of the biggest magazines in the US at the time. And Jean was one of the most well-known and respected beauty directors. And, and she wrote a piece on Yes To, and she called our body butter one of the best moisturizers on earth. And the second she wrote that, boom, we were off to the races. And then more press kept coming in and more press kept coming in. And then we, um, we, we, we got very cocky and we spent a lot of money on an advertising campaign that was completely useless <laughs> and nearly um, you know, brought us to our knees. And we followed the advice of the retailers. And that was something that we learned very early on is that the retailers had something that we didn't have access to and definitely didn't have the budget for, and that was data. And we looked at their data. We looked at who was buying our product. We looked at why they were buying our product, and we leveraged the tools that the retailers had through their own advertising channels to drive people to the brand. And we, let, we did that to, to the nth degree. We were then also fairly lucky that none of our competitors because they were fairly old school in their thinking, were willing to discount their product in any major way. And so we decided that we were going to be the complete opposite of that. And while it caused us some headaches down the line, initially we were the BOGO 50 brand, which meant that every month we would do a buy one, get one 50% off sale. And that drove a lot of trial into our product. That drove a lot of people to really um, engage with us and meant that we could take share away from some of our, you know, biggest competitors. And that, so that, that buy one, get one 50% off, that was done via a, a redemption. So, so the, the people, someone would buy a tub of body butter, Mr. Carrot's body butter, and they'd send something to you guys and you'd send them cash. Is that, is that how no, it worked? Um, no, this particular one was done at the retailer level. So it was done, you know, at um, the register the craziest promo we ever did was was a something called a freemium. A freemium is the world's craziest pro, uh, you know, promotion, and was huge at Walgreens um, when we were just getting started. And basically, it meant that you could go into a store, you could buy our body butter on the particular week that we did this. You could buy our body butter for nine ninety nine or eleven ninety nine. I think it was eleven ninety nine. And you could buy our body butter, take it home, use it, and then do a redemption through Walgreens site, or you could send it in, and you would get your eleven ninety nine back. So the your product was completely free. Yeah. And and while that was a crazy, crazy campaign, what it did do was it meant that we had, and I think we we sold over a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand units of body butter through these freemium programs and so it was a remarkably expensive exercise what it did do 
was that it meant that we had our product in hundreds of thousands of people's homes and the return rate was remarkably high on those particular items and we ended up building a very loyal customer base. As around that time, you guys are doing well on the media front, you're in thousands of Walgreens and you decide to do a capital raising and, and you guys aren't a tech startup specifically, but you ended up speaking to a bunch of private equity firms and some private equity firms out of, out of San Francisco and you end up raising uh, $14 million US from San Francisco equity partners at a valuation I imagine was in the tens of millions of dollars, uh, which, is, which is pretty incredible given the business was only a couple of years old at the time. Yeah, we, 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 needed, to, we needed capital to grow. Um, we, were, we had originally done an exclusive deal with Walgreens. So we, you know, while we were still exclusive to Walgreens, we were able to manage our cash to, to grow that way. But now that we were starting to enter other retailers like Target and subsequently Walmart and others, it really meant that we needed cash in order to fund our inventory and our growth and our team. Um, so we went out there, we, we got a, a fantastic uh, investment bank to help us and we went and met with a variety of private equity firms. And we had a, um, you know, a great story, but we were still very green. And we ended up partnering with San Francisco Equity Partners and the Simon Family Equity Group, but primarily because they had had experience with brands such as ours. Um, the process was quite crazy, especially when we were an Israeli-based company at the time. So they came to Israel. We gave them the whole experience. Um, they really saw who we were and, and what we were about. And we wanted to make sure that whoever we were partnering with cared as much about the brand as we did. And uh, and raising that much money for a brand that was really just getting started was quite um, we were quite fortunate, and it was right around the time of you know as the as the world was also getting shook up a little bit around a recession. So we we really were, were very lucky. By two thousand nine, Yester Carrots had grown exponentially. It owned lands had even managed to secure an exclusive supply deal with global giant Sephora. But as they were planning to ship their first products to Sephora, they discovered a problem with a tiny number of products. Ido and Lance decided to recall all the potentially affected products, a decision that would cost the small business more than $2 million. But that decision would save their relationship with Sephora. Between the stress surrounding the product recall, a rapidly growing business, and a new baby at home, Ido decided it was time to hand over the reins to a new CEO who could lead the business through its next chapter. But while Ido may be stepping down from Yester Carrots, he certainly wasn't retiring. Ido and Lance started a completely new business that wasn't simply about how much money they could make, but how much of a difference they could make to the lives of others. You and Lance decided to start up a completely new business called Yubi, which essentially is selling school supplies to kids, similar to, I guess, Smiggle uh, in Australia, but obviously you were based largely in the States. what gave you the idea for the business and was it easier doing it a second time? So once you'd had that experience from Yes2 and, and obviously success on your belt, was it, was it a very different process with UB as it, as it was the first time around? I think it was definitely easier starting a business or a brand the second time around. Obviously, we had a lot of relationships, particularly in the retail landscape and in the media landscape. But we were, you know, we were starting in an industry that we'd never been in before. Um, the school supplies industry or the stationary business is 
is one that I've always loved as a kid. I was a bit of a school supplies geek. And so I loved the, the you know, the stuff that was, you know, that I would buy as, as a kid. But for but one of the reasons we started the brand is that when looking at the market in the US, there wasn't really any brand out there that was fun and exciting for children to, to play with. And, uh, and, and I say play because I think school supplies are, you know, it's about expressing your creativity and, and who you are. And we wanted to make school supplies fun again. And at the same time, while Yes2 had it was, was very much cause-driven, we had something called the Yes2 Seed Fund. UB was something that I really wanted to have a true impact on children's lives. And so from day one, within our first ever discussion about UB, it was always going to be a, a, a company that the core business was going to be based around a give back. So for every UB item we sell, we give another UB item away to a classroom in need in the country that it's sold. So in the US being our primary market, literally we, we've been able to give away over the past five, five now, six years actually, um, we've been able to give away free school supplies to just over 5 million kids and over 70 million school supplies, which is absolutely, that that's the number of anything that we've ever done in our entire career. That's the number that floors me the most. So you'd, you'd built two incredible businesses and had a range of successful investments. And then you and Lance decided to start up yet another business, uh, an umbrella business called Beach House Group, which is essentially a, a business that brands products and, and enters into partnerships with, with pretty big celebrities. And I think you've got a, a partnership with Millie Bobby Brown and, a, and another partnership with a, the Kardashian Jenners. How, how did that business come about? And, and how do you know these people? <laughs> um, well, I've been very lucky, Lance and I are very lucky that we were able to partner with um, two other incredible guys um, in Beach House Group, a gentleman by the name of PJ Bryce, another, name called, another gentleman called Sean Neff. And, you know, we, you know, the, 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 basically it was four founders who had relative success in their previous businesses. We'd all been in similar industries, Sean in fashion, PJ doing, you know, cosmetic bags and being in the beauty industry. And, and there was Lance and I, and the four of us combined forces to really create almost a, a, an incubator of our own for these incredible brands, both influencer driven and, and, and otherwise. And you know, through relationships that either, you know, myself had or Sean had or PJ had, we were just able to, you know, really bring together a incredible group of influencers, whether it's Millie Bobby Brown, Kendall Jenner, Tracy Ellis Ross, Shane Mitchell, um, and beyond to really help highlight these, you know, these incredible brands that we wanted to to launch. And because we had really strong relationships with some of the greatest retailers in the world, that combination was able to really um, accelerate the Beach House Group business, which today is, even through this crazy time, is being able to flourish. I guess if that wasn't all enough, if that wasn't big enough, you guys started yet another business uh, called Brandless, which uh, sold high quality organic goods and obviously your own brand all for, for $3. And I think at the time, this is going back a few years, you guys raised uh, what must be, if not the biggest, one of the biggest seed funding rounds ever when you guys raised $50 million US from Google Ventures uh, and then subsequently raised uh, a lot more money from from 
SoftBank's Vision Fund. Uh, and I think you guys almost reached unicorn status, if, you, if, if not reached unicorn status. And then I guess fast forward a year, and, and sadly the business isn't operating at the moment. Uh, that was a, a pretty wild ride. Uh, how, how, how much did that, did that business affect you, the, the rise and, and sad fall quite quickly of, of what was an incredible idea and, and really an incredible business? Yeah, you know, Brandless, uh, I think still to this day is an incredible idea and, and, and was an incredible business. I think we were just, you know, like any business, I think it's about finding the right market, you know, product market fit and finding the right partners to execute that with. And, you know, there were, uh, there were an incredible group of very talented, hardworking, dedicated people building that Brandless uh, mission and vision and a, a confluence of factors. Um, led us to deciding to halt um, Brandless at the time that we did, that, you know, it, it is remarkably um, sad, but but at the same time, just exciting that we were able to be part of that journey and, and be part of that, you know, that, that vision. Um, and I think wonderful things are going to happen as a result of the Brandless story. But you know, as an entrepreneur, it's it's very sad to see one of your businesses not achieve the outcome that you want it to achieve. I think there was, you know, very much a, a you know a sense of of not being able to accomplish the the, the mission and vision of, of of what we what we wanted to do. But you know, I, thankfully, I've got a, an incredible group of friends and mentors. You being one of them, that you know that you you, you realize that. Not every, you know, not every professional athlete has an incredible. Not every game is a is 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 a game winning game. Um, you know, as someone who's just been watching the Michael Jordan documentary, um, you know, not even the world's greatest basketball player, and I'm by no means the world's greatest entrepreneur or anywhere near that. You know, when, when you're in the big leagues, you don't always uh, hit your target or, or score that goal or, or hit that basket and. Um, Brandless, unfortunately, was a, an incredible experience, but has subsequently become an, an incredible learning experience too. In 2017, you guys sold a big chunk of Yes2 to a private equity firm called Viking, uh, from, from what I read was, was almost sort of 70 million Australian. So I guess your stake, you and Lance's stake in the business is, is much smaller now. Um, was that a, good, a nice closing of the chapter for you that that the Yes2 story was was done or, or do you guys still have a, a big role in the business? How is that, how, how important to, to you now is that business or, or in, in the suite of things that you guys run? No, today Yes2 is a, is a very small part of our portfolio. Um, we still have a small, a small share in the business. We absolutely love the brand. We love the people that are running the brand, the, the people, the, the team around it. And, and the partners that have got involved are, are really good, wonderful people. We are, you know, it, it's still our baby and something that I consider. And, I, you know, just pre-COVID, I, I happened to be in the States for a quick 24-hour turnaround trip to New York City from Australia. And uh, I, I had a media interview that I needed to do around UB and, 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 and our big announcement of 5 million kids. And I get on the plane after this event and, you know, it's been really a, an extraordinary emotional day for me uh, around UB. And I sit on the plane and this woman sits next to me and she starts looking at me. And, you know, sometimes when people look at you as though they know you, 
Um, and I, I go, okay, I don't, I have no idea who this person is, but I can tell that she's looking at me. And and we start talking, and and I, she said, I, I say to her, you know, she says, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm in the beauty industry. And she, I, I, I said to her, what do you do? And she goes, yeah, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the beauty industry too, and um, I work for a brand. So oh, what brand do you work for? She goes, I, I work for a brand called Yes To. And I was like, <laughs> uh, and she goes, you're Ido, aren't you? <laughs> I was like. Uh, yeah, and it turns out this is the this woman now runs operations at Yes Two, and then she went to the front of the plane and grabbed the the new CFO of of Yes Two, who I'd yet to meet, and we had it was like being back in the trenches, Yes Two, circa you know 2007, with these two incredible operators, and we were you know going backwards and forwards talking about you know, the history and, and, and really reminiscing and hearing what their plans were for this wonderful brand. And while Yes Too is a small part of my, my life today, it's a big part of my heart and something that I, you know, it's still very, very much a part of who I am. You've had, I guess, an incredible career from, from Trend Trade to Yes Too to, to Yubi to Beach House to Brandless. Do you have an end game? What, obviously, you had an huge amount of charitable contribution but but do you guys have a, a point where you say well this is it for us uh or, or do you guys have a few more a few more businesses still in you i i think unfortunately um we are junkies for this kind of stuff you know uh, uh, me in particular lance i think tries to talk me off the ledge every day but you know lance and i are both living back in australia now what's been interesting amongst our partnership is that during our entire 17 plus year partnership we've only lived in the same country for i think two or three of those years uh, or in the same city for two or three of those years now i'm in melbourne lance is in sydney and we are working currently on you know really on making sure that ub is the best brand that it could possibly be it's still it's such a wonderful story and we're now working on a couple of other really fun covert ventures that we, we hope to have out there but our biggest the thing that we love the most is now supporting young entrepreneurs and founders investing behind them i've been really fortunate to be on a couple of really wonderful company boards that that i truly love and, and enjoying that that role of both governance but as well as mentoring and helping companies grow and develop and achieve their outcomes and i think more than anything i, I I don't think Lance and I, and and I in particular, don't particularly need to be at the front of something anymore. Um, it's really about bringing up that next generation of entrepreneurs and and having their face be on the cover of a magazine is something that I hope to help and and, and inspire and and aspire to be around. You know, and Lance have achieved unbelievable business success, but they're most proud of the incredible charitable donations they've been able to make. UB donates school supplies to children with special needs across the world. And so far, they've donated more than 70 million school supplies to more than 5 million kids across 173,000 classrooms. And that was Ido Leffler, founder of Yes to Carrots, Brandless and UB. And you've been listening to From Zero with me, Adam Schwab. Our producer is Lindsay Green. Audio producer, Darcy Thompson. More episodes, search From Zero Podcast with me, Adam Schwab. Listener.